Welcome to the Teens Talk podcast created by the Student Virtual Board of You Celebrate Diversity. You Celebrate Diversity supports students and teachers organizing locally, educating themselves and their peers, and taking action for inclusion and social justice. For more information, visit ycdiversity.org. Welcome back to season two, which is all about community building. Today, I'm joined with Rohan Guranti to discuss how to create and uphold a community space. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Teens Talk. Um, this season's about community building. Um, I'm Lanise McGowey. I'm a virtual intern for You Celebrate Diversity, and we'll just get right into it. So um, everyone needs community, and it can look different from all over the world. The important thing is building a community with the right intention, as well as understanding the possible obstacles you could face. So I wanted to give my co-facilitator a chance to go ahead and introduce themselves. Hi, uh, my name is Rohan Gudanti. I was part of Youth Celebrate Diversity from my freshman year of high school to my senior year of high school. So from 2018 until 2022. Um, and the, the work I did was mostly with what's now called the Colorado Student Board. When I joined, it was called the Student Executive Committee in planning the Colorado Youth Diversity Conference. Um, so I had the lovely opportunity to be part of the board for three years. And then I got to be co-chair in my senior year, which was awesome. And then I've also done other work for YCD, including being part of their virtual student board in 2020. Thank you. So I've had the pleasure of actually being getting being able to know Rohan since middle school. Um, he's insanely, insanely talented and educated beyond wise. Um, and I really was excited to be able to sit down with him today to have this conversation, because um, I think that um, our topic for today is um, how to go about starting a club um, or starting a space or community, any any kind of way you want to phrase it, um, because there's a real, real obstacles. In the last episode, we talked about opposition and activism. This does touch on that a little bit, but it does provide a, a, a wider kind of lens and view um, on specifically how to create these spaces. Um, and so I actually remember um, in our previous conversation, just talking about this topic, you talking about some of the things you look for when um, trying to uh, join a space. And I was hoping you'd share a little bit about that. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that you should look for in a space is how they honor you and, and um, your healing and also how they honor you as a person. So I think a big thing with that is how they respect and value your voice. That's one of the reasons I joined YCD and specifically why I joined the executive committee was because it was student led and they made it very clear that they thought it was student voices that were most important when it came to um, uplifting and honoring other youth. They really prioritized that. Um, similarly, I'm part of a sociopolitical organization uh, that's based in Aurora called YASPA, Young Aspiring Americans for Sociopolitical Activism. And one of the reasons I was really big on joining is because they are very focused on on centering youth. So if something is ever not in your capacity to do, you can always, always highlight that. Um, they, they sign you up with a healing-centered engagement instructor um, so that you can like really focus on your healing as well. Um, and they really prioritize youth voices. Um, they always make sure that youth get to speak in the spaces that they um, put on and adults always take a step back. And I think that for me was important. Of course, also just making sure that the organizations you're part of align with your values. Of course, I joined NASA because they're very, very clear about um, defying white supremacist culture and not tying us down to that. So for example, they don't, they don't put you in any sort of contract and that's sort of one way they to defy white supremacist culture. And then I think with youth celebrate diversity, of course, they're really focused on making a difference for all types of youth. And um, I think that was something that really drew me to it to see that like there was an organization where I could teach so many youth about diversity. No, I, I really like that you brought that up because that that fact about um having somebody let the youth lead while they kind of sit back, that was the nice thing about YCD was that like that was the first time I was kind of pushed to just make my own decisions because I'm so used to being like, well, what do I do now? Like, and it was a nice, nice push to I kind of instill some confidence in me with decision making skills, um, especially with trying to hear directly from the youth what they need instead of adults trying to make assumptions about that. But um when you said um, somebody that's 
trying to look out for you and like respect you having your best interest in mind. Have you ever had a space where somebody didn't do that? And could you provide maybe an example of that? Just because I want anyone who's like listening or watching to see maybe in real time when they actually might be disrespected or um, not taken seriously without them even realizing it because some people are so good at, you know, being passive aggressive or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Um, I would say this is less about the space itself and more about the implications of being a part of the space. But um, in my high school, I had the opportunity to join diversity leadership team, which was kind of like our club for promoting racial equity. And um, my very my freshman year, we would do these round tables, which was where we'd sit with teachers and um, we would talk about diversity work. And we actually put a stop to that after my freshman year. And the reason for that was because it was made very clear to us that teachers were not going to respect our opinion as youth. So for example, when we would bring up certain things the teachers had done that had hurt us, um, we would get a lot of pushback from teachers and, and blatant disrespect of our voices. Um, I think on top of that, many teachers would go up to students after after the roundtables and not only side-eye them, but tell them like, do you believe in you know what you talked about today? Or do you understand the harm of what you've done? The harm just being that we had sort of called out their, their racist behavior. Um, and we did try and take steps to sort of curb that. Like teachers, um, we had our sponsors meet with those teachers um, to sort of talk about the fact that what they were doing wasn't okay. But even with that still happening, teachers were still coming up to students and and targeting them after the roundtables had happened. Um, and I think because of that, we put a stop to the space because thankfully we had sponsors who knew that it wasn't healthy for us as youth to um, have that sort of disrespect put onto us. And because we knew that the um, teachers themselves wouldn't stop harassing students. No, well, that's actually something I don't think I remember we talked about it in the last episode too, but like a lot of the time people, especially like a figures, adults, um, anybody that has a certain kind of power over you will try to like scare you away from doing the right thing. And, you know, they're sometimes straight up lie about like the consequences that could happen should you do said thing, because you even, you have rights, which you don't even know until you're like old enough to really understand what students' rights are. But um I actually had a similar experience with me because I remember getting called in before and getting in trouble for simply having a conversation literally just are like it was heated yeah but it wasn't any way violent um and it was about uh just slavery and the confederate flag and I was simply trying to explain why like some of the opinions around that that some this other person was sharing were problematic and um just trying to have a conversation to get through to each other but I was getting in trouble saying oh well if people saw that like it'll start issues and it's scary for them you know of course it's scary for them how could you do that whatever and it got to a point where I seriously didn't know if my voice was enough anymore I didn't know if I was actually causing issues like I I really truly couldn't figure out how to go about doing things any anymore because it seemed like any approach I took was still problematic until one day I learned the issue was that nobody wants to talk about these things that confrontation in itself is an issue for them um so I remember uh us talking about um you being able to kind of combat that with powerful figures if you will so I remember you talking about like some of the board school district board members and some of the issues you came across with that and how you were able to kind of get around some of those um roadblocks could you share a little bit more about that yeah first of all I want to say like I think I, I even remember those conversations happening I think I remember what you're talking about and yeah like that that's not okay and I think a lot of administration tend to side with the oppressor unfortunately so that first of all that was not okay and I'm glad that you said what was right um, and second of all, yeah, so with Yaspa specifically, they're very youth oriented. And so we were doing a school board candidate workshop. So this was in 2021 when the Cherry Creek District school board elections were about to happen. And one thing that Yaspa knew and something that like now I understand is that if there's one thing that school board members love doing, they love to use their power, specifically their power to speak, um, to sort of skirt around controversial issues and hide the fact that they are maintaining oppressive structures. And so one thing that we did was, first of all, we put a time limit on them. I think it was like two or three minutes, which 
if you've ever been to a school board meeting, that's not a lot for the for, for school board candidates. They will talk for 10, 15 minutes to sort of really just so you get lost in what they're saying and don't understand what they're actually trying to say, which is usually that they are sort of on the side of the oppressor. Um, and so we would ask them very difficult questions. Like one thing that we brought up was the fact that a lot of administration at our school at the time, I went to Smoky Hill High School, um, were siding with students who are engaging in extremely racist behavior and not punishing them and instead punishing the students who took, uh, were taking a stand against it. Um, and we only gave them two or three minutes to answer the question. And what that did was they couldn't really waffle around the question. They actually had to get to the point. And I think that inspired a lot more um, sincere answers. And in some ways that was good. I think we got a lot more of a definitive stance against racism, but at the same time, I think we got promises for action that I think we would not have gotten otherwise because they really had to convey their point in two to three minutes. Um, where it, um, honestly, you could see that they disliked their loss of power a little bit was that we did a, we called it, I think something like a rapid fire round. And we were asking them questions that should very easily be answered with yes or no. And what you answer about saying yes or no is indicative of, you know, like how you feel about sort of defying these like oppressive status quo norms. So the whole point was that they could only say yes or no, no maybes, and then they couldn't elaborate on their answer. And the reason we did that is because we had questions like, do you support critical race theory? If you go up to a school board candidate and ask them that, the answer is no, but they're going to give you like a 15, 20 minute lecture about like why they still care about, um, <laughs> why they still care about students of color, even though, you know, like they're very much going against things that are necessary for students of color to feel understood. Um, so when we did that yes or no, they answered no and they couldn't really explain why. And I think to them that that felt like uncomfortable because they didn't have the power to sort of like waffle their way around answers. But um, for us, it was very impactful. And I think for the people who were attending, it was very impactful because you could see in, in a snapshot, like if they had to choose um, the side of the oppressor that they would. Um, because, you know, when you say that you don't support critical race theory, what you're really saying is that, like, I'm not comfortable talking about the fact that race is systemic. Um, and there are other, there are other questions like that, but I think that was really impactful and powerful for me because they're putting our voice as youth first. Um, and they should, they sort of taught us, like, with figures of authority, you can still, um, assert your power as youth and you don't have to fall into these structures where, you you don't get any promises or any action done. No, I think that was perfectly put. Honestly, as somebody who's, you know, been asked to do a lot of different kinds of programs, board meetings, whatever, I've gotten so exhausted of trying to like I I, I think it's funny because they'll try to act like they're helping you and that they're that the words they 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 choose to use, the language they use, the tone, um, the way that you said they dance around the topic, um, tries to confuse everyone. And then you, you you try to say, oh, you didn't answer the question, but they're like, no, I, I did though. And it's like, I personally want to have way more authentic relationships with the people I'm trying to build and create spaces with, but it's so hard to do that when you don't feel like they're really on your side. And so going back to the essential idea of like creating a space. Um, I remember in the first episode, we talked a bit more about like ground rules and, you know, like all the ways to do that. But um, for you, what are some things, um, I know you talked about what's a, the, some of the things you look for in joining a space, but what are the, the things you try to make sure are implemented when creating a space? Right. Um, I think one of the big things is, is ground rules. And I think that's something we did in YCD too. Um, I think those sort of norms are important because A, I think you have people creating the space that they want to be a part of. And I think that's, honestly, it's incredibly impactful um, to have that because then you you have students who feel like they're actively part of the space and actively heard. But I think you can also sort of set a tone for, these are the things we are going to do and you know help ensure that it's a place where people can feel heard. So for example, it could be small things like we respect pronouns here and you know, you're making a safe space. It could also be things like, um, we're not going to talk over other people. We're going to let everyone talk. Um, and, you know, if we speak three times, we're going to like, you know, wait and then have other people talk as well. Um, it could be things like assuming good intent and 
um, you know, hearing people before you fight back, because, you know, when you're in an argument, I think it's very easy, especially um, when it comes to difficult topic, to start formulating an answer in your mind the moment someone starts talking. And I think that can get in the way of like learning about why certain things are problematic. So that sort of thing. And I think also the types of things that you do, um, the activities that you do, like one thing that I love about whenever I ask the spaces, which is um, the Aurora Youth Coalition, is that we have the freedom to create our own projects with the support of the kind of knowledge that YASPA has. So, you know, we have the power to start a research project on teachers of color. And I think that's something that a lot of um, students like feel like maybe they wouldn't be capable of doing or they feel overwhelmed with. And I think creating a space for them to really explore that is important. And I think also um, the sort of like language that you use when you're creating a space is important too. One of the things that I really loved about Yaspa was um, they taught us about using language that is affirmative and powerful. So for example, instead of saying the word minority, which um, sort of implies that like people of color are minor, we say minoritized because um, in America, you know, due to genocide and population replacement, people of color became minoritized, but are not any inferior. And that was one thing that is like, okay, I really feel respected here and I feel empowered. Um, so those are, I think, certain ways that you can sort of create a space um, where people are like, okay, I feel respected here. I feel comfortable here. No, I love that. I actually think um, changing language a lot of the time is going to also change your thought process because if you're always telling yourself one thing, you it's not. A, I'm not saying you directly become that, but you truly believe that's what you are. And I, I, I like. I've never really heard the minoritized thing before, so I really like that. I like that they, like you know, intentionally change that because of you know the connotation that comes with it. So I mean, going off of that, what when you touched on maybe having somebody in the space that just might not be aware of what they're saying that might be problematic or, you know, anything like that, um, or maybe not be like caught up on all the language that, you know, we might use um, today. Um, what do you, how do you think th the best way to go about that is like having somebody in a space where they're just not really getting it, but they are um, unintentionally harming other people around them or um, kind of causing maybe some heat like issues or some heated topics. How do you, how do you kind of tackle that and try to help them, you know, help, help educate them without making them feel um, targeted? Cause that tends to be an issue when I try to like educate somebody who's kind of doing that thing. Um, um, but also trying to set a tone for anybody else who might, you know, slip up in the future. Right. I think one thing that you can really do is focus on education. Um, so, and, you know, like, and I think, when we say education, I think sometimes people sort of don't connect with people because the people they're trying to educate feel, I guess, like they're being belittled in some way, which might say more about them than the person that's actually doing the educating. But I think if you try and maintain a respectful tone and be like, let's have a conversation about this. Let's talk about like why other people are finding it problematic. And I think highlighting the way that you're harming people um, or hurting people with the language you're using I think can also sort of shift the conversation from what someone might perceive as an attack on them to more like creating a space of respect. Um, and there's multiple ways you can approach that. If you're in a situation where like people in the moment are being disrespected or hurt in some way, I think it's perfectly reasonable to step in and be like, hey, what just happened here, what you just said is not okay at all and we can have a conversation about it. But for right now, you just need to stop using that language. And another approach you can take is to talk with someone one-on-one -on -one later on, just so that they don't um, have the power dynamic of being called out in like a larger space. Um, and I think that's one way you can approach it. Um, and I think also sort of taking on a tone of like, explaining to them and less of a reprimand because like I've slipped up before for example um like I remember we were even when we were like reading To Kill a Mockingbird I used language that wasn't appropriate and I think for me one of the reasons I was able to reflect on it more is, was because I think I had a teacher who kind of was like this is not appropriate language to use it has this connotation um more so than assuming 
that I came in with ill intentions or to hurt people. And I think that helped me a lot in just like learning not to use that language. That's not to say though, I feel like sometimes when people say that, I think it gets confused with almost like sympathizing with the oppressor. And I don't think that that's the approach you should take. Um, I definitely think if accountability needs to happen, there should be accountability. And I think if someone is repeatedly, like maybe multiple times demonstrated um, that they they can't respect you or that they're not respecting people in the space, that might be time to have a discussion about a boundary of some sort. Um, so that's not to say that, you know, you should you should do like educate other people at the expense of your own well-being. Um, and that's not to say that you should almost sympathize with people who are, you know, like standing on injustice over the people who are standing for what's right. Um, but I do think that like, if you focus more on education um, and really helping people understand the error in their ways, I think that can that can really be helpful. Um, so hopefully that makes sense. No, that was perfectly put. I, I really agree with you on, like me personally, I, in a space that I created, in a community that I created, I will, of course, try to always take the approach of educating the person and not just, you know, villainizing them right away. Because I, I come from people and am and surrounded by people that come from all different walks of life and have very different um, types of education um, or condition in different environments. And a lot of them have good intentions and a good heart, but they truly don't understand what they're saying sometimes. Or they're so, um, uh, what's it called? um so sure about what they were told that they're not like not open to changing their mindset on a, a couple of things but they're a little hesitant to understand why and so for me personally I will go about you know trying to understand them trying to be like okay like this is why but at the same time I don't do that with every single person because it does get exhausting and it's not my job um and that's actually something we touched on in the last episode of having um admin or any teachers or anything put that responsibility on us to change the school dynamic to be like oh well if there's this issue why don't you do something about it but the whole point is that it's affecting me and I wish I could just focus on school you know what I mean like I don't know why I'm supposed to start a movement um because of something I was affected by and I, I I'm always you know down to I, I love you know um, you know, I, I truly respect activism in all forms, but I, I don't want it to become the center of everything in my life to the point that I, I don't have room or space for me or people that I just want to, I don't just focus on, you know, other things. And so I wanted to to ask about, um, I was also glad you brought, you brought up the accountability thing, because I also feel like some people take a, there's like a spectrum to it. I feel like some people are like, take, take, put, put tell them accountable, you know, do this. And I totally agree, but sometimes I think, um, this whole like conversation around being like a snowflake or uh liberal culture blue hair liberals whatever you want to call it all the all the things you could hear about um I hear I personally try to be a bit more open-minded as I grow up just to see what's going on maybe to see why there's such a uh like why there's so much division between um I guess people who are in the kind of in conversations that have to do with politics or, you know, activism or anything. And I think a lot of it comes down to the language, right? Like a lot of um, progressive people want to use progressive language to ha have more <laughs> inclusivity for anyone, you know? And I think to me, that's never really been an issue, but to other people, they think they find it exhausting. They think, oh, like everything's problematic now. Like, oh, the woke police, whatever. And my thing is I'm trying to find a way to actively combat that with anybody I come across um, in these spaces because I want there to be a, like a real opportunity for connection and understanding but I also have noticed that just calling them um unless they of course are racist like, that's the thing I also don't want to say like oh you should like you said don't mm -hmm. sympathize with the oppressor but <laughs> I'm just saying mm -hmm. if that's not the case I think that calling them names right away or assuming things right about them right away is also part of the problem and so I wanted right. to also ask you like um in creating these spaces uh what were some of the um struggles you came across uh, besides you know having um district school board members or admin uh kind of talk circles around you what are some other struggles you came across when trying to um kind of make this like a real movement right um this sort of brings me back to this this does involve admin again but i think a lot of what happened was um a tokenization so like um as part of a diversity leadership team and this sort of connects to what you brought up um there was a lot of black activists who were part of that space 
And um, our school would sort of like put the responsibility on them to, to do that. Um, so like, I remember I had a friend, um, her name's Brandy. And what happened was like her, her literally her, um, her Sugo teacher asked her to run the social media account for the school for, for Black History Week. Um, so that's one thing it's like, and sort of like you brought up, don't make, don't let people tokenize you. Um, like, and you know, one sort of one thing that you can do is remind them that like, they have a responsibility to do this work too. So like, if someone comes up to you, for example, and says like, hey, can you plan this event and blah, 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 blah for us? You can be like, you have the resources too. You know, like you have the money too. You definitely have a lot of tools at your disposal too. Why are you asking me? Um, because like, you know, for example, our school district, our school has all the resources they need to, to plan things for Black History Month. So don't don't let them feel like don't don't let them make you feel like you have to do something. Um, is the first thing I want to say. And I think the other thing that sort of happened was there was a lot of roadblocks that sort of came up. And I think a lot of that has to do with sort of the red tape and the politics around school. Like, I remember one thing that happened was we wanted to um, have conversations about police brutality and anti-Blackness. Um, and we wanted to couple that with announcements that talked about those sort of things. And what happened was the announcement didn't get approved by the administration. And it was about like Black Lives Matter and police brutality. And the logic was you can't just say that without having a conversation about it. But the irony was um, at the same time, like when we tried to set up conversations about it, we got shut down and said, they're like, maybe you could do this as a writing exercise. And we thought that was ironic because we were calling it stop the silence. And if you're having people sitting there writing, you're just creating silence. Um, so that was one thing that was sort of difficult. And I think a tool that we used was accountability. Um, you can hold administration accountable. In fact, you should hold administration accountable. Um, and one way we did that was with the help of YASPA and with the help of the NAACP, we got a interview with the Aurora Sentinel. Um, and that was really helpful because we talked about those things. We talked about we talked about the fact that we were worried that the administration would take credit for the, the week. We talked about the fact that um, we hadn't been approved for either announcement or a conversation and the sort of hypocrisy around that. And I think that was important because I think the next year it opened up more conversation because I think the administration realized if we do these sort of hypocritical things, we can't just sort of like sweep it under the rug. Um, and I, I've seen that in sort of similar ways with other um with like other things that we tried to do so this happened over multiple years the black history spirit we've planned it multiple times um and i remember one of the things that we did um when we first did it was that we wanted to have a black hair care day but at the time do rags were banned and i think one thing that we were we really focused on was like um using our voices and like the power in our voices to sort of challenge that. So we got a meeting with the principal and um, a lot of the black activists there explained why do-rag is significant um, to black hair and why it's racist to associate it with um, gang symbols, which is the, the, the reason that the district had banned it. Um, and I think that sort of helped us lift the ban and have that um, celebration. And I think again, like, challenging and holding administration accountable helped create that change. And I've seen that in other ways too. Um, if you were part of the Cherry Creek School District last year, you probably know that there was a lot of protests around sexual assault. And I think a, a conversation for the first time about the district sort of changing their policies around it. Um, what was interesting was that that was like actually not the first protest that happened that year. Um, that happened at Grandview in I think like March, April. Um, we had a similar protest in December of that year, and the protest um, wasn't very, like, public. It wasn't really covered by, like, the media or anything like that. And so because of that, administrations sort of were able to get away with more, meaning that they were able to, for example, they prevented the person who um, planned the whole thing from, from even, like, 
showing up um, to the protest and they sent them home. And then um, they refused to give us any sort of resources. They didn't give us a mic or anything like that. Um, and a lot of administration showed a lot of apathy to it. Um, they refused to come up and speak. Um, we asked them, why aren't you coming near us? They're like, we don't want to be associated with this protest. We don't want people to think we're part of the protest. And I remember students came up and shared their stories and they would talk to their dean who was sitting over there and they're like, do you remember this? And they would say no, because I guess to them it wasn't important. The principal refused to come out too. And that was all just because there wasn't a sense of accountability. I think that was held in place. Whereas with the bigger protest and with the sort of like media coverage that happened, there was more of a sense of accountability. And I think the district was more willing to do something about it. Um, so I think all that to say that like standing in your voice and standing in your power, and also, especially with power structures, challenging them and um, pushing accountability, I think is really important because a lot of what people rely on when they're sort of trampling you is they rely on A, you backing down and B, you feeling like you can't speak out or like protest. Um, they rely on the fact that you buy into their power. And I think if you sort of defy that, I think that's when um, they start to realize, okay, we can't skirt around this. You know, thank you. I, I totally agree with that last statement too, because I've, I've found that the, 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 they try to instill fear in you and thinking that you're going to like run away from the problem. They try to like straight up lie to you and be like, oh, well, you can't do this, this and this. Um, but the minute in my experience, at least that I was very, very vocal and just adamant about certain things being changed. Um, that's when adults started taking me way more seriously because they understood that this would not end until they actually did something about it. Because one thing I've noticed and it's um, everything you said, and this, episode is going to we talk about admin a lot because that tends to be the issue honestly when creating spaces it's not you know um and any kind of thing you do you're always going to have to kind of answer to someone right and for me I've been lucky enough that the people that sponsored my club when I that I created in school or any of the programs I've been a part of have all been educated adults with um clear intentions that you know they're trying to actually help us and that's what I liked I didn't want somebody to use me one thing I hated is that I felt a lot of the time that um certain groups of people would use my school as a poster kids for diversity like they didn't really care what we had to say they didn't really respect us they honestly nothing changed that much because as long as they knew that you know they had our school to be like hey we're woke don't worry like we literally have this like this is the most diverse school in the district it really annoyed me because I was just I felt so neglected even though there was some attention on us you know and I felt like my voice really didn't have any power and that's one thing I think people have an issue with is they do want things to change, but they don't see the point anymore because every time they try to do something, nothing happens and they're honestly exhausted of it. And I remember um, us touching a bit about how you said in your own words that activism is draining. And I totally resonated with that because it really is exhausting. It's not easy. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, I can understand if, you know, you already have the mentality and mindset of trying to be progressive and trying to, you know, um, I guess, make some change. But either way, things you have to back followed with that has to be real steps for action mm -hmm. and those steps can be insanely exhausting especially when you have constant opposition all the time and so I wanted to talk a bit more about that and um, maybe if you or any people around you in, in, in these spaces that you've joined or created um, how did you guys go about trying to continue to do the work without um, you know with, with, by, with by and still trying to respect yourself and your mental health yeah um, I think first of all um, rest is important. And if that's something that you need, you can absolutely take it. And just because you take rest doesn't mean that you're not committed to the work of social justice. And just because you take rest does not mean that, um, you know, does not mean that like you're like giving up on the cause. In fact, taking rest is a form of activism because activism um, or rather the oppressor, one of the things they rely on is trying to drain it out out of you and if you take rest it's harder to do that um so definitely like be okay with taking those breaks i think another thing is i think sort of understanding um what you're doing it for can be really really helpful um so like i think relying on empathy i i do a lot of activism work because i know what it's like to be sort of like belittled and attacked for my own identities um you know, for example, like being made fun of because of my culture and my skin color. And so 
I keep going because I know that there are like other little South Asian boys just like me who could face the same thing and I don't want them to. Um, and that's one thing that really keeps me going. And I think if you find that sort of purpose or that drive, that's one thing that can really help keep you going. Like you, you have a reason to keep going. Um, and I think that's some, something that can guide you for sure. Um, something you can think about when you're like, well, why am I doing this? Um, I think something else that's important is um, to not let sort of like people in power um, have control over you. Um, and uh, this sort of goes back to, again, challenging their their mindset. But for example, one thing that I would say is like, I think organizations like YCD or YASP are important because um, if you find that you're facing a lot of like red tape um, and things like that in school, I think places like YCD and YASP can be refreshing because you see that you can make changes and that you can educate youth and you don't have to face all that red tape. And I think that's why um, organizations like these are so important because they provide a resource for students to go to when they when they really feel like um, they, they can't make a change. This sort of shows them that they can make a change and provides them with the resources to do it. Um, so those are some of the tips that I would use. Thank you. Um, I, I bouncing off of what you're saying, I also, you know, really agree with just trying to, I think, I think one thing I found is that people only try to help you or respect you if you're palatable enough for them. So if for somebody like me who I like to express myself through, you know, how I dress or, you know, jewelry, whatever, um, what I say, the thing is, I'm also very blunt in some of these, um, like board meetings or anything, because I simply don't have the energy anymore to dance around certain, you know, use flowery words all the time, because sometimes you just got to get to it. Like, I know when we were talking about language and using progressive language and all that, I totally believe that you need to use um, certain language out of respect, human decency, and just to actually um, make sure whatever you're saying is correct. I'm not saying you have to be, I'm also sick of everyone saying like, oh, why is everything so PC? It's really not that hard to use a, a couple terms that mean the exact same thing you were, you, you, you're trying to say, right? It's not out, it's not insane, right? My thing is though, I also don't want to get to a point where we lose our authenticity, right? Where I have to, right you know, sit up straight and, you know, act like I think this and that simply to get you to respect me because as I'm I'm still learning a lot. And as somebody who's still in school, I I barely hit the tip of education mm -hmm. around um any kind of movements. I'm still learning a lot. And my thing is um I think for me, uh I've noticed that um sorry, I've noticed that when mm -hmm. I would talk to these people, it was almost like I would code switch right away. I would just code switch. And it made me feel so gross, honestly. I didn't like it. I don't like to code switch. I still do it even now. I do it all the time because it's just what I'm used to. But I feel like at the same time, I personally want to be in a space where they actually value me, not this this right. persona I created. It's, I want them to value me. And I think when you learn more about abolitionists and all these other things, like the whole mm -hmm. thing is that you have to reset the system. You can't keep, you know, only, always working within it and trying to, you know, mm -hmm. move through that because that's the whole point is that the entire system is corrupt anyways. And so that's why I, I really like, you know, um, and I, I don't want to like be like, oh, Gen Z, everything. I know everyone talks a lot about, you know, Gen Z being a powerhouse and I agree, but I also think that maybe we're just being real. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, think I think in some ways yes we're definitely breaking the glass ceiling in some ways we're definitely you know pushing the needle forward but I think in other ways we're literally just being authentic and I think that it's sad to think uh, to see that that's not really a norm um and so you know continuing off of that I want to talk a bit more of the benefits you had from creating these spaces and the benefits you've seen in other people from joining them yeah um I think one thing that's really helpful is it really um gives you the power to sort of um like be your like you said be your, your authentic self um I've had other people say that like I, I joined a lot of these organizations the timid little freshman who was very scared to say anything and now um I feel a lot more empowered to stand up in these, these times of injustices and you know like say expose oppression for example from administration um to to other people to news sources for example um and I think that was one thing that I really saw and even just in my daily life like I think I've made it very clear I don't tolerate these things and I've had to make it clear to people that like this is not okay 
Um, and I think that's been very helpful because A, I think people now sort of like, before I sort of let things slide and didn't really care. Um, now, well, no, not I didn't, didn't care, but I was too scared to do it. Now, um, I think I'm more like, if, if I see something, I'm more willing to, to um, stand up against it, stand up against those sort of, the sort of injustices, for example, um, or, you know, like, again, focus on educating people. And I think that's been helpful because it, it has really taught me to use my own voice. Um, and because, you know, like, it helps me ensure that I'm not, like, being complicit in oppression. And I think it's also been refreshing because I have now, because I'm more, more my authentic self and more able to use my voice, surrounded myself with people who I think genuinely also care about those things. Um, whereas before, I don't think necessarily people I surrounded myself with understood those those values. And um, that can be really helpful because, again, the people you surround yourself with, if they're um, hyping you up and they, like, you know, help you feel authentic, that can also keep you going. Um, I think on top of that, um, it's also just inspired a lot more like confidence in me. I feel like I'm more articulate now. I'm more willing to to say things as they are. And, you know, like, of course, that's beneficial in things like the classroom. But I think it's also just beneficial in, in your day to day activities, because, um, you know, I think when it, when, it, when it comes for you to standing up for yourself and like, you know, like even just like dealing with your own the way people try to oppress you and your own personal oppression, I think you have a little bit more confidence to stand up straight and be like, you know what, I'm not going to take this. Um, and, you know, I think that that can be incredibly helpful. Like, um, I think an example I have is um, people were talking about a very famous celebrity who recently, I mean, this could apply to many people, but he had sort of started to come under fire for like allegations of sexual assault and things like that. Um, and then he released a statement saying like, actually, you know what, like I threw out this case, so like um, I'm actually innocent. And so um, one thing that I was able to do was like educate people on the fact that um, just because like a sexual assault case gets thrown out does not mean that um, a person's innocent and people can use their influence to sort of like get out of situations like that. And just because someone says they're innocent, or just because they're able to manipulate the law in their favor doesn't mean that you should immediately go back to supporting someone who we know is capable of doing those things. Um, and, you know, I was able to say, say that to people and um, explain, to, explain to them how it's sort of oppressive to kind of go back to the status quo just because someone says they're innocent. Um, and so that's one recent example um, that, I, that I've been able to use. Um, but I think overall, it just makes you a more a more confident person and more able to sort of reside in the power that you have. I totally agree. I'm still learning how to be, you know, more articulate because again, I'm still student, still learning, you know. But um, for me, it's really just I still want to, so that's why I continue to do what I do. But like you were saying, um, I I find it so okay. I remember, and excuse, again, I'm not. 100% educated about this topic, but I do remember learning about um, how, you know, like before we even evolved, like um, as humans, you naturally find community, you naturally stick with each other to survive, right? So you, um, over time as you evolve, right? Like you you stick with these communities, you build culture, you build norms, you know, taboos, whatever. Um, and this is essentially, you link this and correlate it to survival. Like this is the only way you can survive because if you're on your own, you're on your own and that's terrifying, you need people, right? So when I started thinking of it that way, I started thinking of the communities um, around me that I'm currently in, and why sometimes it's so hard to say the right thing and why sometimes it's so hard to create these spaces or be just so, you know, authentic and upfront about how you feel, because I've noticed that, you know, even though it seems like, oh, it's not that deep, you know, somebody just doesn't like you, you know, which, you know, sometimes that it generally is the case and other you know, people, it actually seems like this is my world, like my world will go away if I say something, if I stand up for myself, because these are the norms and I have to stick to them. And I've seen that in real time with my own parents who um, are African in their communities. Um, and I, I I love my Sudanian community. I love them. But I have to be honest, like with any community, there's a lot of toxicity. There's a lot of um, trying to keep the status quo. There's a lot of um, trying to keep you in line and control you. And there's a lot of reasons for why that is. It could be because of colonialism, colonization, and again, survival, trying to teach 
um, this, this generational trauma and trying to teach your kids to survive the same way you had to. However, with that comes no progression. Like you're too scared to ever say anything or do anything out of the norm. And it becomes so frustrating for me to try to explain that to some of the, you know, adults in my life who um, come from all kinds of communities, because again, they are just, they just accepted their, their position and place in it. And I think for me, like, like I said, community can be anything. It could be friends. It could be, um, you know, your class could be whatever. For me, even with my own friends, I try to um, also, you know, correct them if they don't know anything. You know what I mean? If they say something problematic, I respectfully am like, okay, um, that's actually not cool because of this, this, and this. And all they do is just say, oh, I didn't know that. And then don't do it again. And it's not like, you know, I personally am not the biggest fan of cancel culture just because I do think in some, in most ways, actually, I feel like, um, you cancel them right away before they even had the chance to learn for about what they did was wrong and why it was wrong and even had a chance to grow because none of us are perfect, including me. Like I've made many mistakes. I'm still continuing to make mistakes. And I, I'm just trying to give myself grace because again, I'm really open to learning and expanding, but my knowledge, but again, I, I it takes time. You know what I mean? I can't rush that process, especially since um, I, most of my activism was me as a kid right still very uneducated about a lot of topics but what was making me do it and what was driving me was simple passion and honestly just trauma from certain experiences it was just exhaustion like being like you said the oppressor trying to drain um everything out of you so you just have to accept it and so I'm really glad that you talked about that because I, I remember we had a conversation about, um, you know, being discouraged and, you know, how to go about that. And I know you already touched, um, touched on rest and, you know, all of that, but I was wondering if you've ever been discouraged and um, maybe what you did about that to help yourself or what, if it made you even, you know, work even harder, like what, what was that like for you? Um, I think one time that I really felt discouraged, um, here, I think I'm going to use a different example because I already touched on sexual assault protest. Um, I think it had to do with, um, in the library, one thing that was happening was they were trying to do like a, a sort of like queer positive um, book series. Um, and, you know, like they, they had this whole display of like, um, like queer authors that you could read. Um, and like, I think for me, I thought it was really, really cool at the time. And I was like, wow, like I'm, I, I just like like the fact that it's being centered and that like apparently, you know, like my library cares enough to do that, my school library. But then I remember just hearing people's comments and it's over time it started to get to me because they would say things like, you know, like I'm not homophobic, but I feel like they're rubbing it in people's face too much. They literally said that. Or they'd say things like, you know, do, do they really need to do all this? Um, and... I would hear those comments they weren't said to me but more so just like out to the world in general and and I started to feel like well you know like what's the point um like why why do this then if people are just gonna say this or just be this ignorant and I think what I learned over time is like I think the reason people were doing that was because they were sort of trying to process the fact that like the status quo wasn't being censored anymore or that like their reality was being challenged in some way and I think instead of seeing people getting upset about that as a, um, as like a reflection on me or the fact that like I was a failure in some way or in fear, I was like, well, this is part of them learning to like lose their privilege in some way and, you know, like see a more equitable world in some way. And I think that sort of helped me a lot because that sort of helped me feel like, okay, well, instead of worrying about like being um, like something that people could quote unquote digest, I'm just going to stand in in this and center myself and not care what people say. Um, and you know, like people haven't always reacted favorably to that, but I think people learn to respect me over time. Um, and so, like for example, kind of after that, like I would sort of just like be on unapologetic when I talked about queerness and, um. I think like, for example, in conversations, I would say like, hey, this is homophobic and this is why. Um, and I think things like that, where I, I would see people react negatively or react unfavorably, but I'd be like, okay, that's more of a reflection on them than me, was one way that I felt more encouraged to sort of just like keep going. I love that. That is, I had a very similar experience because like, I think truly changing your mindset is what helps you get through the day. Like I used to, you know, 
sometimes words do get to you, especially when you're little and impressionable, right? So if people are saying, oh, you're doing too much, it's not that deep, you're starting issues, you're the problem, like over time, you really truly start to believe that. And you're like, okay, maybe I am too sensitive, maybe I am a snowflake, da-da-da, whatever. But like you said, that mindset change of, okay, this isn't actually my problem. This is the world around me. And, you know, it's not supposed to be um you know, egotistical or, you know, oh, I'm never the problem. No, I can definitely acknowledge when I have made um, a mistake and, you know, try to learn from it. However, I also stopped caring about being popular with people. I just, I truly did not care because this is how I view it. And I don't know if this will help anybody else listening, but there's just no possible way for everyone to like you. There's just no way. Like, for that to happen, I truly believe you would have to be the fakest person alive because everyone <laughs> has a distinct personality, right? Everyone um, attracts and repels, you know, different kinds of energy and people and whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, if a bully was to like me, what does that say about me? You know what I mean? Like, right. that's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Exactly. Like, I personally don't really take it personal anymore when somebody um, gets mad at me for defending something or someone else, or if I just, you know, respectfully, you know, call them out on something. If they get mad at me and they, you know, uh, project all of that anger and self-hatred onto me, I, I can't view that as I'm the problem. I simply have to view that as you're not willing to listen. And I hope one day you will, but I'm not the one to deal with it. So I'm just going to leave right. you alone, you know? So yeah. I- yeah, I personally think that anybody should try to just find your people. I think that's why that's what I'm trying to say with community building, why it's so important, like you said earlier, was that being around like minded people gives you that strength and reassurance that you're doing something right, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever been able to do anything without other people like I've always had um, a support system, either I created on my own, or I was lucky enough to have around me but having a support system is so crucial to your development because without it you're honestly on your own trying to figure out all these complex life lessons and it's just so it's so discouraging so I'm really I really appreciate you bringing that up and um you know making room for that with yourself because it's hard to it's we're always harder on ourselves and we're our own worst critics so yeah I appreciate that but um is there anything else that you want to say or you know add on to before before we end this yeah um I would just say that like I feel like if anyone out there is listening and like I'm still finding my place um like First of all, like you have strength and you have power and you can create the change. Um, and so don't let anyone make you feel like you don't have that power. Um, you know, and especially as youth, I think people sort of like make us think that because of our age, we can't make a difference. That's not true. And I think people will use their position or their title to say that you can't make change. That's not true. <laughs> um, but I think at the same time, remember to honor yourself. Um and remember that if you need to take a rest, that's perfectly valid. Um, remember that, like, don't you don't need to let other people drain you, and um, that like you can prioritize yourself in this. Um, and I think also if you just find something to keep you going or find your purpose and your motivation, I think that can that can really drive you. But um, yeah, I'm really excited to see like what the people around us can really create the changes we're going to see.